Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. All right, I told somebody this week that I was going to tell a story on my dad. My mom gave me blanket permission to use my dad as a sermon illustration for the rest of my life, uh, so I'm going to take advantage of that. My dad had a phrase he would say all the time, ancient history, ancient history. And uh, dad would, every time mom fussed at dad about something that happened in the past, even if it was just yesterday, dad would say, ancient history, don't live in the past. And what my dad thought of as ancient history, my mom sometimes thought of as recurring history because it kept coming back because it was not dealt with. And they needed to address it and discuss it and evaluate it and then um, resolve it. But they didn't do that because dad wouldn't because that was ancient history. He didn't want to talk about it. And my dad viewed each isolated incident as ancient history. He didn't look for patterns in that. And dad would sometimes quote the very verses that you see Philippians 3 on the screen. Uh, we're, we're not going to put the words on the screen. I'm going to read them to you from Philippians 3, these verses that we're looking at today. Dad would quote these verses as his justification for never going back to the past, which is incredibly ironic for those of you who knew my dad, which my wife knew him very well, and the Rakosis knew him pretty well, and some of you other folks got to know him. Dad loved to tell stories. He would tell detailed stories of things that happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. He loved to tell those stories. Of course, most of his stories made him look really good, and we tend to do that with our storytelling, but uh, he loved to do that. And if we said, Dad, ancient history, he'd say, history's important. <laughs> but it wasn't important when he didn't want it to be important. So these were the verses he would use. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, help us to understand your word and the truths presented here that you led the Apostle Paul to record these not only for the church in Philippi, but for churches of all time to learn and grow. And we pray that we would truly listen and learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul was not saying, not teaching them to ignore the past. Paul was not encouraging them to pretend the past never happened. Paul was not saying the past is totally irrelevant. That's what my dad tried to say. That's not what Paul was trying to say. And we know this from the very words of Paul himself. So this book is Philippians, right? Okay. 
How do we understand these short passages, the two verses we've read? What's a rule that we have in our Bible study to help us understand those two verses? Context. Context. Occasionally, Tim brings that up in the adult Bible class. You know, no more than three or four times a week. But no, he, we bring it up. Why? Because context is very important. So those two verses didn't show up in a vacuum. There wasn't this completely empty space and suddenly, bam, there's two verses. This was written as part of a letter. A letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi or multiple churches in Philippi. He wrote this letter to them to help them grow and learn. Now, we have verses and verse numbers and chapter breaks to help us find things. It's a whole lot easier than what Paul had to do. Take the letter to the Philippians and scroll about three and a half times and then you get to this part. And we have a reference point. This was added hundreds, more than a thousand years after the scriptures were written. They added the chapter and verse breaks to make it easier for us to find them. So those two verses from the middle of chapter three were not written as separate verses. You know, some, some parts of Proverbs, there's a proverb and then another proverb and another proverb, and they're totally disconnected. You know, he can talk about ants, and then he can talk about women, and then he can talk about men, and then he can talk about something else. Just totally unrelated. And, and I meant the literal ant, A-N-T, ant, not ant, any. <laughs> so when Paul wrote this, he sat down with a scroll. And how the scrolls worked, and they'd have a scroll, this is kind of scrollish shaped, you know. They'd have it, and they'd pull out a piece of it, and they would write down that strip. And then they would pull it out a little more and then write down that strip. And then a little more and write down that strip. And so that's how they would write the scriptures and communicate it to other people. And they would make multiple copies and multiple copies. We actually, in the, from uh, ancient copies of the Book of Mark, there's like 23,000 copies of transcripts of the Gospel of Mark. We have a lot of evidence for the Bible that we hold in our hands. Uh, lots of uh, early records of what they said. So Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and where do you think he started writing? Chapter 4? No, he started in chapter 1, what we would call chapter 1, verse 1. So let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1. And we see that Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, are writing this to all the saints in Christ that are in Philippi with the bishops who were the, the leaders of the church, the senior elder or senior pastor of the church, and deacons. So he's writing this to the leaders in the church primarily, but it was also to go to all the people of the church because that's what the leaders of the church did. They taught the people of the church. So if Paul wants them to never look in the past, there's a lot he wouldn't have written in this book. Look in verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're supposed to forget the things behind. What are you doing remembering them, Paul? No, he's encouraging them to remember, and he's talking about it. Jump down to verse 12. 
I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He writes about how he, all the suffering that he endured actually gave greater opportunity for him to witness for Jesus Christ. And, and it gave him the opportunity to reach people he never would have reached. I had a lot of health issues uh, the last couple of years, some pretty significant ones that required some major surgeries. And I got to witness to medical people I never would have met without that. One of them was a believer, and he told me afterward, he said, you know, I'm really sorry you've had this problem, but I praise God you were here. You've really helped disciple me in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So God allowed the suffering of Paul to further the gospel. And Paul said, I look back and I see this. He didn't say, I totally ignore the past. All right, now I'm going to stop saying that Paul didn't say, I totally ignore the past, all right? We're just going to walk through this. He was not teaching them to ignore the past. He was not encouraging them to pretend the past didn't happen. He was not saying the past is irrelevant. And we know this because of what he said. So uh, now we're going to look at chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's going back to the mind of Christ when Jesus Christ was walking on the earth. Chapter 2 and verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for their state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ, of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And so he said, look, you have seen his character. You have witnessed it. You have observed it. How do you tell a person's character? Is it instantaneous or is it over time? Over time. It's always over time. You can tell if someone is a character instantly, <laughs> but you cannot tell their character unless you observe them over time. And so he's saying, look in the past and you can see the faithfulness of Timothy over the years, over the months, over the time, and you can see it. In chapter 3, he reminds them of something in the past, too. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he does, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He's going back to when he was just barely a week old and talking about the past. He brings it up again in chapter 3 and verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. You can look back in my life. You've seen this over time. Uh, see this pattern. Look back. And he's encouraging them to look back. Uh, a couple more. Look in chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard. Are you familiar with a little thing in English called text? There's past tense, and there's present tense, and there's future tense. So there's three words he uses there. Learn, receive, heard, and then also, and saw in me. 
Those are all past tense. He's pointing back to the past. And then he's saying, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He's encouraging them to remember the past, to look back. Chapter 4 and verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Thessalonica, I'm so, sorry, from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So he said, back in the past when I began this itinerant ministry, you were the guys that were helping and really blessing my ministry. So now all through this letter that Paul wrote to them, he is saying, look at the past. So if, like my dad, Paul was saying the past is ancient history, we ignore it, then Paul wouldn't have written all this other stuff to this church. He wrote it on purpose to encourage them to look and learn from the past. So uh, Paul's sharing his history of his own faith journal. He did journey. He did that over time, multiple times in the book of Acts and in his writings. In Romans 7, he wrote about the ongoing struggle with sin that he had, struggling to do what was best and to avoid what was wrong. And he repeatedly talked about how Jesus Christ changed his life, how Jesus Christ took him from being one who hated Christians to one who loved them and was willing to die for them. And he repeatedly encouraged the Philippians to think about the past and to better use their knowledge of the past to guide their future. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember, remember. In his last letter recorded in Scripture, which one was that? Second Timothy. Second Timothy is his last letter that we have in Scripture chronologically the last one um, and so Paul then reminded Timothy in chapter 1 that he had a rich history of faith he had a grandmother Lois and a mother Eunice who loved the Lord and followed the Lord and he's reminding Timothy of that heritage and then also in chapter 4 of that letter he says listen Timothy you need to watch out for Alexander the coppersmith because he did me much harm and he's working against the gospel. So he's citing things from the past. In fact, last week we read Paul's letter to the church in Corinth and uh, we, we read a, an excerpt from that. We talked about it where he counted the number of scourgings and beatings that he had. He received 39 stripes five times with the cat of nine tails. He was beaten with a rod three times. And then he names the shipwrecks and how long he spent in the sea, uh, a night and a day in the sea. So the verses that we began with in chapter 3 and verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, here's what Paul was teaching. It's been on the screen for a minute. Maybe you caught on. You must, you can, and you must get beyond the past. He's not asking you to forget your past. In fact, people who forget their past, they have either a little bit of dementia or a little bit of mental illness. Now, you're going to forget some things from your past. 
I don't know. I don't. I really struggle to remember names. It's a stress for me sometimes. You know, I'm not quite as bad as the guy who who uh, called his wife and said, "Hey, what's that uh, flower that that has uh, thorns on the bottom?" And she said, "Rose." And he said, All "Right." And then he turns to uh, oh, he turned and got somebody else to tell him what a rose was. And then he turns to his wife and says, "Hey, Rose, I'm not that bad." Of course, I rarely call her Kathy. I usually just call her Babe, but uh, that way I don't have to remember her name. <laughs> but there's times when people will tell me something. Do you remember when? And I'm like, no, I really don't remember. And then, like three days later, I'm in the shower. I remember that. What was that? How did I say? But but your brain has all kinds of stuff in there. Some of it's easy to access, and some of it takes a little time and a little chore. Uh, but uh, he's not, we're not talking about a forgetful person. Paul's not saying, you know, I traveled with somebody on my first journey. The last couple have been Silas. Who was that guy from the first one? No, he remembered it was Barnabas. But what he's saying is we have to get beyond our past. Sometimes, some people allow their past to imprison them. All right, kids, I want you to look around. And adults, I want you to raise your hand, any adult here who's been through hard times physically, financially, or relationally in your life. Hard times. Adults, raise your hand. Kids, look around. How many hands do you see? A whole bunch of them. Why? That's life on earth. But you know what happens to some people? They love a little problem back here. Destroy all the rest of their life. And I, I've known people who in their 40s, they're like the oldest teenagers in the world. They haven't matured beyond where they were when they turned 13. Emotionally, relationally, they haven't grown. And, and we can allow things to hold us in bondage for a long time. You know, I'm not proud of the fact I was a teenage alcoholic. I really struggled with it. it um, my dad and I had lots of problems because of it. Uh, and when I started following Christ, Christ delivered me from that. And I'm so grateful and so thankful that's not how I had to live. But, but I had a friend who we struggled together, and he never got beyond it. And he's dead now because of it. And you can bring baggage into your life, and you can drag it along with you. And Paul's encouraging them to get beyond the past. To successfully deal with the past, we need to learn from it. We need to make necessary adjustments and then move forward. There's a couple of spots in town uh, that have really bad corners. When you ride a motorcycle, you learn those bad corners really quickly. And you know, you're, when you take that corner, you're going to take the inside groove or the outside groove, but you are not going to go through the middle because there's bad stuff there. And in our life, we need to learn the lessons from the things that we have gone through. We need to learn it and, and allow it to 
helpless in our life. Uh, Paul said he forgot the past, but he continually referred to the past, and both things were true. Because the way Paul used the word forgetting, it is not, I can't remember. Forgetting is setting it aside and getting beyond your past. How could Paul ever forget the hatred and murder that he did toward people because he hated the name of Jesus Christ? He lived with that for the rest of his life on earth. And you're not going to be able to forget some of the things that you've gone through. You're not going to be able to forget it, but you are going to be able to get beyond it. So, the first thing I want you to think about is that Paul wanted to successfully deal with his past. He wanted to successfully deal with his past. He wanted to think about it. He wanted to evaluate it, and he wanted to then set it aside. So we, we successfully deal with our past by learning from it. We learn from it. You know, some, I learned something yesterday, playing nine square. When I was in the middle, I learned the worst time to be in the middle is when Hunter's on one side and Dawson's on the other. <laughs> because then my time in the middle was really short. It didn't last very long because somebody was setting them up and they were spiking it down and I was out. And uh, so but we learn lessons in life and Paul wanted them to learn from them. Paul had regrets but set them aside to serve God in the present. He had a very effective ministry teaching against the false philosophies of his day in part because he used to follow those false philosophies. And so now he know, once he knew the truth, he could expose the error of those false philosophies because he used to buy into them and now he could expose it. And now he could help them. Some of the most uh, gifted people that we have dealing with alcoholics, dealing with people in recovery, they have been people who've gone through it themselves and they learn and they change. Uh, sometimes uh, kids have health problems and they have to see nurses and doctors and they make a plan in their life, I'm gonna be a nurse or I'm gonna be a doctor or I'm gonna be a dentist someday because they were helped by those people early in their life and they see and they learn. So uh, Paul wants us to learn from our past and then to make necessary adjustments in our lives. Necessary adjustments in our lives. So back in the old days when the freeway speed limit was 55, how many of you drove when the speed rate speedway when the freeway speed limit was 55? How many of you drove on that? How many of you always stayed under 55? I, I, I remember there they everybody used to talk about Wilcox. Um, there's a speed trap in Wilcox. And you'd be driving on the freeway, and I, I rarely stayed right at 55, but there were people going 75 even back then. And you'd get close to Wilcox, and all of a sudden the cars would start slowing down. 
and they'd cruise through Wilcox at this nice slow speed. And then as soon as you got about 10 miles from Wilcox, they'd speed it up. And it was really funny because cars that would go blowing past me, uh, I would see in front of me for a long time. And then they'd go blowing off again. But they learned to avoid that, right? There's better things to learn than where the speed trap is. And speed traps really shouldn't bother you much because you should be right around the speed limit. And, you know, if a cop pulls out behind you, you shouldn't go, oh, oh, no. If you do, you might need to adjust some things in your driving habits. But make necessary adjustments in your life. I like to watch sports. I enjoy it. I have fun with it. I, get, I go nuts at the refereeing sometimes. Uh, but uh, I, I enjoy watching some. And I enjoy watching a little football, a little baseball, not as much baseball as football is a lot more fun, I think. Uh, basketball, uh, I'm not a NASCAR guy, you know, Jim Ricosi is. And I told him, when people running around, run around in a circle on a track, that's called sport. When drivers go around in a circle, that's called being lost. <laughs> but, you know, we, we enjoy watching sport. And you know something that's interesting? You have professional athletes, professional, who have spent their entire adult life and most of their childhood and teenage years competing in that sport. But guess what they still have? A coach. They still have a coach. And if you play professional sport, you have more than one coach. If it's baseball, they've got a hitting coach, a pitching coach, a fielding coach, an infield coach, an outfield coach. Uh, if it's football, you, you've got all kinds of different coaches. You have the line coach for the offense and a separate line coach for the defense. And then you got the backs coach and you got the quarterback coach and you got the safety coach and all these different coaches and they're all coaching different things and all of them serve under the head coach. And why? We need coaching. You never outgrow your need for coaching, ever. And so when we're making these adjustments, what Paul's saying, one of the things you need to do is coach yourself. Coach yourself. Learn your lessons. Coach yourself. Coach yourself. Adjust your life. And adapt due to the circumstances of life. You're going to meet different circumstances as you go along through life, and you need to be able to adapt and adjust. And some of them are going to be really painful, and some of them are going to be really fun, but you learn your lessons from both. And then move forward. Paul chose not to let embarrassing or awful memories of his past to hinder his present opportunity to serve God. He set it aside. He moved beyond his past, and he moved forward. He didn't want to drag his past into his future. He wanted to, but he also didn't want to fail to learn the lessons there. So he learned the lessons, and then he moved forward. The second thing is don't focus on your failures. Focus on your goals. Don't focus on your failures. Focus on your goals. Paul was really good at that. In the past, as Saul of Tarsus, he had actually helped put people to death. He had consented to their death as an authority, as a Pharisee, as a leader in Israel. He had consented to the death of Stephen. 
and he was fully aware of his past failures, but he intentionally did not dwell on them. How many of you play a musical instrument? Okay. All of you who play a musical instrument, have you ever missed a note? So what do you do when you miss a note? You quit. You quit. Stupid piano, it won't do what it's supposed to do, right? No, you practice, and you get beyond the failure. In fact, one of the things Kathy has to teach her students, uh, and when they have a recital, and they make a mistake, you can't just panic, and you can't just start over and try again. You have to pick up and start again, right where, right after the goo. And we need to not let our failures hinder our life. You can get beyond them. Uh, Paul chose to think about his failures less often and less intensely and focus on the future more often and more intensely. He pressed forward. So every day he was aware of the eternal weight of this day. He was looking at his eternal future and his eternal rewards, and he tried to make this day count on that day. He worked at it. And so a third thing then to do is to look for patterns in your life. Patterns. I'm not talking about plans versus polka dots, but, but a plat pattern. Is this a one-off, what is sometimes called a single occurrence, or do I see a pattern? See, it's one thing if I get lost on my way home from the church to my house, which I have been doing, I've been driving back and forth, I haven't gotten lost, okay? But, but I live about three miles away, and I've been driving back and forth multiple, multiple times a week for 24 and a half years, I've been doing that. You know, it used to be there was one traffic light between, and now there's a whole bunch of them, but, uh, but I, I know the way, okay? If I get lost, I have to ask myself, was I just daydreaming? Was I not focusing? Or did I truly get confused? And here's the thing. If I was just daydreaming, not a big deal, not a good thing. You're, not, you're supposed to be paying attention when you're driving. But if I get confused and I can't find my way home, then I either need medication or I need to retire, one of the two, because that's an unsafe thing. So we need to look for patterns in our lives. We need to look for patterns. Okay, I sin. Whatever your sin was. You know, I could ask you to name them, but that could be embarrassing. So let's say you, you meant to tell the truth, and you almost did, but not quite. And now the Holy Spirit's making you feel a little bit guilty for that. And so, okay, is that a one-time thing? Or is that a pattern in my life? Did I notice that happening five times in the last week? Or was it just once in the last month? See, it doesn't matter what the sin is. God's willing to forgive our sins, right? Uh, it, God will forgive it. What matters is the frequency, the pattern, the historicity of it, because if you have a pattern, then that's harder to correct. Those of you who have endured addiction, it's really hard to get over. It, it's a burden. And even once you've made the, the uh, 
change in your life and you no longer participate in that addiction, the inside of your body still craves it and can crave it for years. Honestly, for me, it was about 15 years from when I stopped drinking because of my addiction to when I stopped wanting to drink. It was about 15 years. And so look for patterns in your life. Um, if it's an unhealthy pattern, you need to learn to set it aside and you establish a new pattern. If it's not a pattern, you just ask the Lord's forgiveness and press on. But if it is a pattern, you have to change. And so Paul developed new patterns in his life. Here's the old stuff I used to do, and now here's the new stuff that I do. And we need to do that. We need to see our difficulties from a spiritual perspective. And Paul was a master at that. So look for patterns of good, too. Like Paul said of Timothy, he had a pattern of good works. See, almost anybody can look good on one occasion, right? Almost anybody can do the right thing at one point at one time. I've known liberal Democrats who respected conservative Republicans and conservative Republicans who respected liberal Democrats because of something they did. But across the board, they don't respect each other. In fact, that's a problem in our culture because there's too many people stirring up hatred among too many other people. So look for patterns. If you see a pattern in your life that's moving you toward the Lord, hey, that's a good pattern. Like, you read your Bible, you pray. You don't just read your Bible, but you think about it. You try and live what it says. Well, those are good patterns. That's a good thing. Uh, so keep that up. But if you notice a pattern that's not good, then turn away from it. And then give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people the benefit of the doubt. I'll explain that. Sometimes we focus only on people's failures instead of on their potential. They have potential to, to move on. So I watched, I did sometimes playing and sometimes watching when we were playing volleyball, and I saw everybody mess up at least one shot. Everybody messed up at least one. Uh, they went to hit it this way, and they hit it that way. They went to hit it inbounds, and it went out of bounds. They, they were ready to set up somebody else, and instead they set up the other team. And, and so certain things like that just happened all day. But if somebody kept doing that, I mean, Dawson hit one out of bounds. Well, what if every time he hit the ball, it went out of bounds? Would we have enjoyed having Dawson on the team? Uh, no, we wouldn't have. That his pattern was, get it in, do it well, but we occasionally mess up. So what you need to do is give people the benefit of the doubt. If they mess up, don't say they're a loser. Don't say they're terrible. The awful say, maybe this is just a one-off. Maybe this is an isolated incident. Maybe it's a bad day. You know, I won't tell you who, but I heard a lady this morning who was talking about somebody who was behaving a little grumpily in her house. Now, I won't tell you who it was, <laughs> 
but it was before we got here to church. Maybe you can figure it out. And I didn't think I was being grumpy. That wasn't the word you used. What was the word? Morose. Morose. I was being morose. I thought I was just putting jelly on my toes. I didn't know I was being morose. Uh, but, you know, uh, if that's a habit and a pattern, sometimes if, if people struggle with depression, they need some medication to help them, or they need some counseling, sometimes both. But give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't say, wow, man, Richard was so obnoxious today. He is always so rude. You know what? Richard is polite almost all the time. I'm sure Sue could tell some stories. But I have never seen Richard not be polite. So uh, just give it a one-off. Oh, that was an isolated incident. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Each of us is on a spiritual journey. And we're all, we all desperately need the grace of God and the grace from other people. We need both. So... Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't focus on their failures. Focus on their potential. Assume they mean no harm. They didn't mean to hurt my feelings, even though they did. Anticipate that their goal in life was not to ruin your day. Now, let me tell you, you may face people whose goal in life is to ruin your day, but most people aren't going to do that, you know? I, I have said to people, you know, I'm sorry, I was not trying to be rude. It just comes natural. <laughs> Nobody's out to get you, or most of the time, people are not out to get you. There are some people who will attack, but most people won't, and most people aren't. So give them the benefit of the doubt. How many of you have experienced a time when... You, on a one-off situation, an unusual situation, you didn't handle it as well as you should have, and somebody held it against you for a long time. Any of you ever experienced that? Yeah. How many of you wish those people would have shown grace to you? Like God shows grace to you. Yeah, we, we want it, right? So if we want to receive it, what else should we do? Give it. Give it. We should show grace. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't show mercy... Your Father in Heaven won't show mercy. So, show grace and, and give people the benefit of the doubt. And then there's something else that we need to remember here, and that is that you have not reached your spiritual potential. You have not reached your spiritual potential. I think it was Dr. C. Everett Coote was talking about in his life growing up and like, in his 30s, he reached his physical um, uh, peak where, you know, his ability to do all kinds of stuff and, and sports and all that. And then in his 50s, he, he reached his mental peak, uh, not mental peak, but his, his uh, dexterity as a surgeon, the capacity to operate. In his 50s, he was at his best uh, because he was still learning in his 30s, but now he's at the top of his game. And, and then in his 70s, he was at the top of his game mentally. 
uh, because he'd learned and he'd grown and he'd done and he knew so much. He couldn't compete as an athlete like he did in his 30s. He couldn't do the surgeries like he did in his 50s, but he still had a sharp mind and he was a gifted teacher and, and shared with people. And then he said, now I'm in my 80s and I've passed all those peaks. He said, but I'm still reaching my spiritual peaks. So you may be in your 80s or 90s. You still haven't reached your spiritual peak if you walk with the Lord, if you're studying His Word, if you're learning. Paul said just in this passage, this chapter, he said he had not yet apprehended or laid hold of the full measure of his maturity. This is Paul who said that. Paul, who God used to write 13 books of the New Testament. Paul, who started dozens of churches, reached thousands of people for Christ. Uh, Paul, who wrote letters talking about more than 100 different people who he ministered to in his life and connected with and helped and trained. And, and Paul, who was one of the most intelligent men in his day. He could speak multiple languages, write multiple languages. He could study for hours. He could preach all day and all night. And he did. And Paul said, I'm not there yet. I, I've still got room for growth. Now, if that was Paul, you and I... I don't know about you, but I know about me. I don't have the intellectual capacity Paul had. I'm almost fluent in one language. I, I can study the Bible and I can teach the Bible. And uh, a younger days, I once preached seven times on one Sunday. I can't do that anymore. And so Paul said, I'm not there yet. So let me give you a hint, okay? If you think you have arrived, that you have achieved the pinnacle of spiritual thinking in your life, you're deluding yourself. And your arrogance is going to lead you into trouble. In fact, every preacher that I knew that was arrogant ended up teaching something that wasn't aligned with Scripture. And they tried to get people to follow them instead of follow him. So you have not yet reached your spiritual potential. Your life is in process. There is room for growth and room for improvement. Now, if you live alone, sometimes you can think, you know, you got it okay. If you share a house with somebody, just ask them. Is there anything in my life I, you think I could do a little better? I guarantee you they'll come up with something. And they probably won't have to think too long about it. Uh, just grow. That's what Paul was trying to do. But also, you're not stuck. There is no ceiling. You know, they've talked about glass ceilings for certain people because of their gender or their race or their national heritage. Uh, there was a ceiling they couldn't get beyond. There is no ceiling to your spiritual growth and development. You can continue to grow. You can continue to mature. You're not stuck. You can, as Peter said, 
You can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can keep growing. Because you can and must get beyond the past. Not blanket from your memory, but set it aside. And say, that's not me anymore. The me that exists now and going forward is going to follow the Lord. And I'm not going back there. Learn from your past. Make necessary adjustments and move forward. Trust and follow Jesus Christ as you love and serve him. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're stuck in your past because you need him to forgive you of your sins. You need him to give you a new life in him. You need him to, to cleanse your heart and and give you a hope for the future and a home in heaven. Before Paul came to know Christ, he was kind of a miserable, grumpy guy, stuck in his ritual and not only personally unhappy, but trying to make as many other people unhappy as he could. And then he started following Christ and he had hope and a future and a change. You need to ask the Lord to forgive your sins. You need to ask him to be your savior. And the cool thing is, he will. I asked somebody last Sunday, uh, have they trusted Christ? They said, yes, I have. I said, when? He said, many, many years ago. <laughs> you know, you can keep growing your whole life. But you can't grow in a relationship with Christ until you have received Him. So, trust Him and then follow Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the home that we have in heaven. We pray that we would make wise choices with our life to please you now and to earn reward then. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.